Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this evening, and with me today, as usual, is my lovely yet sick wife, Haley. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I don't know if she's actually sick sick, but hasn't been feeling well today, sadly. I swear to goodness, I thought I got all my bad luck out in January. Like, January was a rough month. I had two sicknesses, including the flu, and then my great-grandmother passed away, and it was like the one year of Hershey's death and like I thought everything was left in January got all my bad vibes out but yet again here I am <laughs> luckily you don't sound like rasp and rasp raspy raspy <laughs> you don't sound raspy you're not coughing it's just you don't feel great in like the ear throat back of the head yeah I feel like I've been hitting the back of the head with the two by four and swallowed gravel but you know what we're making it and that I'm on the podcast terrible. I'm here for you, <laughs> listeners, dear sweet listeners, because again, we've waited until less than 48 hours before our release to record the podcast. Well, when you're kind of busy, you know, you're kind of busy. I don't know. It's hard to do, but welcome everyone to the Malthouse Games podcast. This is episode number 60. Episode 60. Big number, I feel like. I said that about 50, but it's true. Only nine more episodes until my favorite. Oh, God, I hate you so much. Uh... This is a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, things of that sort, and we also drink beer. The first beer today, because I'm getting right into it because uh, I kind of like doing that better, this is from Elk Valley Brewing Company here in Oklahoma. We finally got to go to their tap room and sit and have some tasters. You can buy four-ounce tasters for, you know, three fifty-four bucks a piece. That way you can sample their beers. Uh, very nice tap room. It's a great way to enjoy the flavors and intricacies of eight different beers without having the diagnosis of alcoholism. Or a tab that's bigger than your bank account. Yep, that's a science fact. It very much helps. This is French Toast Dreaming. It's an imperial stout with maple, cinnamon, and vanilla, and it comes in at 12.6 alcohol by volume. Now, we've kind of cheated because we've had both of these beers already this week. We have. We couldn't wait. We couldn't hold ourselves accountable and wait until the podcast. It looks like syrup when you're pouring it. It's beautiful. This beer is the darkest. Like, there's not much carbonation. It's black in color. And when you pour it, it looks like you've warmed up molasses and just are pouring it into a glass. And it looks like it's just delectable heaven. Because it is delectable heaven at 12.6 alcohol percentage. Definitely. Blessed. So again, extremely dark beer. Cannot see through it in the glass. Not even a hint of light goes through this beer. It looks like a bottle of ink. It does. It's so dark. So give it a nice whiff. Let's see what it smells like. It smells like syrup and cinnamon. You can smell the, the like maple and cinnamon very strongly. It's super, super roasted malts being used in this. There's essentially no hop content whatsoever. What's the taste, Haley? It tastes like French toast. You can taste the yeasty bread and the aftertaste. The initial part is very sweet. It's like if you take a bite of French toast and you have the syrup coating it, and then you actually bite into it and you get the yeasty sourdough bread flavor. It's darling and delicious. It's not too sweet. It's very heavy. It's satisfying. This is almost like, almost a dessert beer. Or a breakfast beer. Or a breakfast beer. Either way would work. 
But I think you're right. It kind of has that three-stage process where your initial taste is all the sweetness and the maple. I'm going to get a drink. In the mid part of the swallow, you get a little more of the vanilla coming in, and you start to taste those malts a little more strongly. And then on the back end, when you actually finish the swallow, that's when you ah. get all of the malts that comes through with that little bit of that like ethanol alcohol in there. Ethyl alcohol? Not ethanol. <laughs> See, I don't taste that at all. I don't taste the alcohol. There's a teensy, teensy bit that I think is adding to that yeasty twang kind of taste you're getting. Ah. Did I ever tell you about the breakfast place in Vegas my sister and I went to where they paired beers with mm -hmm. your breakfast? You did. It sounds great. Oh, it was fantastic. And it was also open 24 hours a day, which is even more glorious. But we went at a reasonable time of 8 o'clock in the morning. And though we went there three times, I only got a breakfast beer once. I really I really took control of myself. Yeah, like, is, don't they say win in Vegas? Right, but my, <laughs> my sister was pregnant at the time, so couldn't get too honky-tonk. Uh, my sister and I have a joke that we went to Vegas together, and she came back pregnant, and I came back married. The thing was, we were married and pregnant, respectively, whenever we went to the trip. But you also we, came back that way. We also came way. back that way. You're not wrong. She's not wrong. She, we're not wrong at all. <laughs> well, the past two weeks, we have been, I guess, just living life best we can. We had Valentine's Day in the past two weeks. Uh, I got my tattoo color done in the past two weeks. I will... Once it's not peeling and gross and the color settles, um, the color has started off one color and is changing to another, which is changing to the appropriate color. You're a lizard, Harry. I'm a lizard right now. Uh, as my skin heals, the true color comes out, and so I'm wanting to let it heal. I will post a picture after that. I'm guessing it's going to be a few more weeks, but I'm very glad to have it done, and I'm ready for the itching to be over. But it wasn't too bad. It looks really good. I'm ready for you to post a picture. Yeah. We are prepping and preparing for Montreal in three weeks. Three weeks from yesterday. Three weeks from yesterday. So the next episode will be a week before we go, and then we'll have to try to get one out. I guess it's the week after Montreal when one comes out. Yeah. So that'll be perfect timing for us in terms of recording, so that's good. Three weeks from today is our five-year wedding anniversary. That, too, coming up fast. What's something else we've done in the past two weeks before we move into the game? I've had a pretty sweet gig at work going on. So as you guys probably know, I'm a mental health therapist and I got, I recently made my full-time gig or my part-time gig, my full-time gig. And I'm working for this agency and basically three days a week I see clients. The other two days a week, I get to sit at a coffee shop or a pub and just edit podcasts, edit a therapist podcast. And so Delton's not the only editor in the family now. That's true, but I'm the better editor. That's probably true because mine is a very <laughs> dummy program. Like I can uh, was it control F find all the us and just hit delete and it deletes all the us and it's amazing I mean that's a fantastic sounding thing because I do it all just audibly listening and cutting it based off the waveform which is more of a traditional method the thing I like about the program you use is it generates the like almost like making captions it generates a script of what's being said which is just fantastic so it's a really, really cool program. So it's, I think it's definitely something that's a useful skill to have and a useful program to know that we might be able to utilize later on in the future. Plus, that means I can start editing, too. Boo. Yeah. I can't allow it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at what I do. J.K. Delton's a lot better at it. But I get paid, which is pretty cool, which is a testament to your, your side gigs, your hobbies, can help you professionally as well. Like, 
They say you're, you don't make money in podcasting, which we don't do this for the money. We do it for fun. Well, we also don't make money in the podcast, we aside from our Patreon backers, and that goes into equipment. Like, Patreon backers, occasional sponsorship or free game, like, that's what we get out of it. But we, we get a lot more than that out of it. But it's the skills that we took from the podcast that were able to help me to get this full-time gig. So don't give up on your dreams, kids. Unless you dream to be a serial killer, then give up on your dreams. Yes, please. We need less of those in the world. I don't want another documentary series on podcast, on podcast, on Netflix that I have to deal with or a podcast that I have to deal with people talking about constantly. I mean, I'm like the stereotypical 20-something-year-old woman, and I just absolutely love serial killer podcasts and shows. And I am at the point of avoiding them now because I'm tired of hearing about it. It oddly makes me feel safer. Like, oh, this is common. I haven't died yet. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Before I die listening to any more stuff about serial killers, let's move into the game of this episode. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, It's a game. So the game for this episode, I think this is the second time that it's a game we don't own. It's definitely the second time it's one of Brian's games that we've borrowed. So thank you, Brian, for letting us borrow this. Thank you, Brain. To do on the podcast. But this is Tiny Towns from AEG, which is Alderock Entertainment Group. Uh, Tiny Town is designed by Peter McPherson. Development lead is Josh Wood. Project lead is Nicholas Bongiu. Production is David Lepore. Art is Gong Studios. Graphic design is Matt Paquette. And writing is Andre Shoutard. I believe you pronounced that. So Tiny Towns is a neat little game. That's not super complicated to explain or to play, but is hard to be good at. In Tiny Towns, you are building a tiny town. The way you do so is you have a 4 by 4 grid that's your little village, basically, with 16 squares. On a turn in the normal game, whoever is like the start player picks a color of cube. That could be brown, gray, blue, yellow, or red, the five different colors. If they say red... Every single player at the table takes a red cube and places it on one of the 16 squares on their board. Then that start player passes to the next person. It's called the master builder. Passes to the next person. They pick a cube and every single player takes that color of cube. Then there are a number of buildings laid out, a number of cards laid out describing the different buildings. There are seven different buildings, eight if you include your own one-time personal building you may build. And each of those buildings has a layout based on that grid that you have to put the cubes in a certain order or a certain pattern corresponding with the shape and the color, basically. And you may remove them at any time that that shape is complete and put a building that matches, you know, on the cards. It tells you which one. This is a weird way of explaining this. Put the building on your board in one of the places where those cubes were. So let's say for a simple example... If it's a gray and a brown next to each other, like in the game that me and Haley played tonight, the gray and the brown next to each other may be removed and you may place a shed. A she shed. You may place that she shed. And it usually would go in one of those two places where those cubes are. So if you're looking at a 16, you know, uh, 16 space grid, a four by four, the gray and the brown may be gray on the left, brown on the right or brown on the left, gray on the right, or gray on the bottom, brown on the top. Any of those patterns, as long as it fits, you know, for that shed, those two next to each other. Now, you can manipulate it by rotating it. You can manipulate it by making a mirror image of it. It just has to be in the same pattern. 
And these patterns for these buildings can get fairly complex where it's, you know, there's using six different cubes to build the building. But that's going to be how the game plays is somebody says a color of cube, everyone takes it, puts it on their board. And then when it's in a pattern of your liking or you have multiple patterns done, you may build the buildings that correspond with those patterns. Now, each of those buildings has a different power. It can say if adjacent to this, it gets three points or if not adjacent to this type of building or this type of building, you're going to get two points for each one or something like that. Every one of them has a different pattern or a, a different scoring mechanism or a different sometimes just ability that it utilizes. One of the ones we had in our game took six different cubes to build, but it would replace the need for one cube in the next pattern. It almost acts as if a cube is there. So it's really interesting. And each of these cards... Uh, the different colored buildings, there's actually four cards, so four different buildings, which means four different powers and abilities for each one of them, all the way down except for the cottage and the special one you have. We are basically playing little city planners. Like, for example, in one game we played with Brian and Mac and Cass a while back, uh, it was something like you couldn't build the abbey near the taverns. Like, if you did, then you wouldn't get any points for the abbeys, because the abbeys the churches can't be near the taverns because they're sinners. And so I love the little rules like that. You're not only building to create your board, you're also having to follow the rules, basically the, the city ordinances, in order to earn the most points. Exactly. And in the one tonight, uh, it wasn't a farm. I can't think of what it was called. A granary. It was a granary, but the granary uh, only fed the buildings around it, and the cottages have to be next to the granary to be able to be fed. I hope it's making sense the way I'm explaining it. I feel like it's not the best explanation, but uh, it's a pretty simple game to get down, a pretty simple game to play, but it's hard to be very good at. In our point swing in this game, the lowest point ever is from by me when me and Brian played a two-player game with a variant in the game, which is where you draw a card from the deck and both players, or all the players, depending on how many people, it goes from one to six in this game, all the players have to take that color cube and you do two cards that way, and then everyone picks their own cube, and then two cards that way. And we did that, and I came out with negative three, which is the lowest in my phone. I had the lowest score at two, and then Delton defeated me. Yep, I five less than her lowest, which sucks. But then Haley tonight beat the top score, which was Mac. It was Cass. Sorry, it was Cass at 31. Mac had 30 originally. Sorry, Cass. Haley came in at 34. I will say one thing with this game that I really like is the variety of buildings you may use in a game. The only bad part is for score tracking, which isn't a huge deal, is that the type, like the 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 swing, the spread of the scores, and the height of the score can be determined by which cards are out, because some cards are just going to make more points than others. So I think that that's going to dictate those, but I really enjoy the variety. Every game is going to be different for quite a while with this one. And it does have an introductory setup saying if it's your first time, we you know recommend you play with these. We also recommend you play with this. And it kind of gives you some variety and some ways to make the game a little simpler to jump into. Then once you play a game and get down, get it down, you can then shuffle everything else up and go for it and have just some random stuff. My only criticism of the game is that it seems to be better at more players. Like when we played it, a fire player game, it was much more challenging. So it's not that necessarily the game is better or worse, I guess. It's that it's more challenging the more players that you have. I almost felt like a two-player game was too easy. 
I could see that it felt too easy because there's, in a normal, let's say a four-player game, I pick the color yellow, everybody gets yellow. Three people get to pick whatever color they want, no matter what I want, for the next three cubes. That can be so detrimental to my strategy. Whereas, with a two-player game, I can kind of see what Haley's trying to go for. I know Haley wanted a bunch of grays in the beginning, so I was utilizing a strategy that also needed grays. So we were just giving each other points, basically. Hello, almshouses. You had the almshouses, and I had the... Taylor shop. Taylor. I had the Taylor. And I think that playing with more players, like you said, it is more difficult, but it also feels more fun, I guess. Yes. I don't mind two-player. I like two-player. Oh, yeah, I did like two-player, but it also only lasted 16 minutes, too. Yeah, it was a short game. For a game that with five players or four players is going to be closer to 30 minutes, if not 45, like it says on the box. I just like the the wrenches that it throws in my plan whenever I'm playing with more players, because in a two-player game, every other cube that is chosen is picked by me, and so that makes it a lot easier than if every five cubes is picked by me. Exactly. And I do think that that's... Uh, it's something that's good about it because if you want it to be easier, play it with less players. If you want to play with more players, we actually do think it's more fun that way. However, I will say there is a variant in the game that can make two player more challenging. And me and Brian played this way and that's how I got such a low score. And it's the one where you flip the card and that's the resource you get. So you're not even choosing except for every third card, you get to choose what you want. So it almost creates like a three player game out of a one, two, or three. I mean, you can do that up to a six player. You could do that with a six player game, but it almost creates another player in a way, but it is definitely more difficult because there's 15 cards, three of each resource type. You take five randomly off when you shuffle. So you're never going to hit all of them. You might have discarded all three yellows and for the remaining 10 cards, you're never going to hit a yellow that you need or want. So it does make it much more difficult. So I do like that they include that variant for you to be able to uh, increase the difficulty on yourself if you want. I do think I need to play with either that variant or with five people again in order to say I really usurped Cass as the top scorer. I could see that. I could see that. You can't really claim with two people that you got the high score when it's so much easier. It was a lot easier. And it was only 16 minutes. That's very true. Palette cleanser. <laughs> it is kind of a palate cleanser game with two players. But the good thing is with this game, the rulebook's nice and simple. It's laid out. Everything's pretty easy to understand. The examples are good. Uh, I mean, the game's not super complicated, like I said, but it's very fun. We've enjoyed the game. We've had fun at all the player counts. I Like we said, I do think more player counts, as Haley does, is better. But it's a really solid game, and I definitely recommend checking it out because I think it's just, you know, it's fun, it's interesting, and it's something different. Plus, I love spatial reasoning. Hey. What can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today, as Haley hinted there, is spatial reasoning. I almost said special reasoning, which would make all the sense and zero sense at the same time. It is spatial reasoning. Uh, we define, Haley, do you want to define spatial reasonings from your psychology standpoint of testing? Yes. I would like to. So spatial reasoning is the ability to uh, basically manipulate objects and uh, reason with physical objects. So, for example, when you take the, the Wexler, which is a, an intelligence test. There's one for kids, adults, adolescents, da 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 
whenever you take that, there is a spatial reasoning portion where you're basically given a, like, here's a shape you need to make out of all these random shapes we're going to dump in front of you. And you, the tester has to time the testee how long it takes them to create that shape with the plastic random shapes that they're given. And so you might get a card that looks like a face. You might get a card that looks like stars. And you have to manipulate the pieces. And the quicker that you do it, the more IQ points that you have. And so the games like this, this is the ability to manipulate the shapes and the placement in your minds. Be able to plan ahead to determine, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to make this shape. And I have to fit it inside of these 16 squares. Definitely, because those, like I said in the game description, building those buildings, some of these buildings go up to six cubes that they need. One of the big things with this that I like, that as you said, you must make this shape within the 16 squares. And the more buildings you build, the less squares are available to place your resources that you have to have in the shape to build. Um, one thing I really enjoy about this game is that whenever you have, let's say, those six cubes and they're in the order you need them to be or in that pattern, you then remove them and the building goes down in one of the six spots they were covering. I really like that because it forces you to make sure, okay, do I have enough room to start this pattern? If somebody picks a cube I don't need, do I have enough room to put it somewhere that's not hurting this pattern? But once the pattern's done, it clears more space for you to then put more cubes. And you have to think of that in your head and plan like, okay, I'm going to do this and this, then this is going to be blocked. But once I build this building, I'll open up space to build this and put it here. Because if you made a wrong decision on where you're going to place your little cottage, where you're going to place your abbey, your demons will come back to haunt you. It really will. And so I do enjoy the spatial reasoning, reasoning aspect of this game, but it makes it easier that you can, as you said, shift these patterns around, mirror them, that kind of thing to make it a little easier to create and utilize. But it's still difficult, but I like having to think about that in the shapes of where can I fit this shape? If I put this here, can I plan for later based off this? And if I build this building and it's just kind of chains together in your head. But spatial reasoning is always one of those things that's really fun. And I think it's just because it forces you to plan. It really does. And it forces you to, like with, with this game, plan ahead and, and to hold an idea in your mind. So use your working memory to like, okay, well, I'm going for this objective here. So I have to collect these colorful cubes in this order. But also, whenever you're playing with other players, that they can throw a wrench in your plan by handing you a completely different color than what you need. So you have to plan ahead for that as well, while keeping in mind the original goal that you're working towards. And so I like games like this. So another game like this is number nine. Number nine is a game where you're given uh, two sets of numbers, one through nine, given to you in random order, and you have to make them fit together and you don't get points until you start to stack them. You can So don't, do you want to, you explain games better than I do. So on number nine, you have numbers zero through nine. Uh, they're all in different shapes and sometimes those shapes are a little off compared to what you expect, but uh, there's a deck of cards. You draw a card. Let's say a number nine comes out and you place it down. You build basically a base. Everything has to, when you play a number, it has to touch an existing number on that level. You build like a base platform almost. Then once you can, you start building numbers on top of that. So the platform, the numbers touching the table, these are tiles, by the way, I should say. The numbers that are touching the table are worth nothing but then the numbers on the first level are worth their own face value. So if you have a nine on the table, it's worth nothing, but a nine on top of that first layer of tiles is worth nine. 
but then a nine that if you can happen to get it on the second level is worth 18 and on the next level is worth 27. And so you have to try to reason out if I put this here and put this here, I got to hope for this number. And if I get this number, I can squeeze it in here, which gives me enough room to when this number comes out, I can do that. And it's a lot of planning, but also reacting in a way because you don't know what's coming. It's a, a, a really cool game. It's different than a lot of card-based games. I feel like with a lot of card-based games like Euro games, you, you do have to plan ahead in the same way, but you have your cards to reference the whole time. Like I have, okay, I'm going to chain this, chain this, chain this, or I'm going to collect these resources to go to here. But with spatial reasoning games, you have to keep what you're wanting to do in your mind at the whole time because you're trying to basically plan out where you're going to play your pieces. And so you have to have this object or this map laid out in your head and then place your pieces as you go to fit that. Yeah, very, very true. Another game that uh, uses spatial reasoning that we like a lot, we've talked about, is Patchwork. Yes, it's like Tetris, but you're making a quilt. Now, Patchwork is a little different because Patchwork almost functions more on an economy system and trying to figure out what your opponent can or can't afford. It's like spatial reasoning combined with economy. In a way, yes. It's, it's, it's so peculiar just because of the way the game works. But in terms of spatial reasoning, it is looking at these little, you know, like uh, tetromino, I think is what they're called, like little Tetris-style blocks and saying, okay, well, what can fit where? But I can't pick it up and actually test it. I have to just look at it and hope, you know, I'm counting the cubes correctly or something. So it's a very interesting one. Another one that kind of does that's A Feast for Odin by Ufa as well. A Feast for Odin has that spatial reasoning element of buying this, putting it here, filling in a grid. Ufa's such a math nerd. He really is. Geometry nerd. Another one is Kitty Paw. So I played that one with my clients a lot. With my So in my sessions with my little kids, typically we do like 45 minutes of therapy work. In the last 15 minutes, I do a game that is therapy related. So it could be like a feelings game or what I really like are problem solving and spatial reasoning games. And Kitty Paw is one of my favorite games to use in therapy because it's a whole bunch of kitty pieces. They can be rotated. They can be flipped. They look different on each side. So you look at the kitty's head or the kitty's belly. You flip over a... Uh, one of the cards, um, some of the easy cards, you just kind of put the cats together, you assemble the pieces next to each other, the difficult cards, you have to stack the pieces on top of each other to get the certain pattern down. But that's an example of spatial reasoning as well. You're having to manipulate the pieces in order to match the pattern. And I, it's kitties! I can see that. That game is very difficult to be good at because you have to stack some on top of others and make certain parts of it show out. And then the hardest part of Kitty Paw for me is the perspective in which those tiles are shown in. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're you're you're seeing two like three sides of a cube or a rectangle, I guess. So depending on how you face them, things change on what part is shown and it can throw you off just in the shape, which is interesting. Do you know that spatial reasoning was my highest score on the ASVAB? I'm very surprised. I'm really good at spatial reasoning when it comes to manipulating objects. I can manipulate that chair on the ASVAB like nobody's business. That's pretty funny. I mean, spatial reasoning is just one of those things that a lot of games, I feel like, have spatial reasoning, and I always enjoy it when they do. It's just something, like you said, you, you can plan for it. Games like Tiny Towns can throw a wrench, a wrench in those plans, and people, you know, affect your board, and it's just, it's always fun. It's always interesting. 
And when some somebody says, this game has a lot of spatial reasoning, I'm instantly just like, okay, I want to test it out. Yes. That's so. why I like Uwe games so much. Yeah, he just does really well with that, at least in those since Patchwork and A Feast for Odin and Cottage Garden and all those different games. And Second Chance. Second Chance is the Uwe Rosenberg, like, roll and write or flip and fill, I guess, game where it's more of those tetrominoes and you're filling in their spaces. Kind of patchwork style, but you're drawing them in, so it's similar but a little different. But it was an interesting little game. But I think that kind of covers spatial reasoning. Hopefully that makes sense, but spatial reasoning is just fun. I think it's something that everybody... May, I mean, obviously not everybody's good at spatial reasoning, but it's something everyone understands what they're doing, and they understand I'm either good at this or bad at this, and the people who are good at it love it, and the people who are bad at it probably don't. It's something you can <laughs> practice and get better at. It is. It's something you can learn as a skill. Which kind of like bugs me about IQ tests, but that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other story. But hopefully spatial reasoning sounds like something you want to look into. There's a lot of games that do it. I'm sure we're missing a bajillion games, literally one bajillion. I don't know how many zeros that is. One gallon of games. One whole gallon of games. But spatial reasoning is just fun. It's, it's one of those things, like I said, that if a game has spatial reasoning, I'm down to try it. I have no problem. You know what I have no problem with? Opening the next beer. Opening the next beer. Because it's that time before we move to the question. So this beer is a dogfish head beer called... This is from Dogfish Head. It is Dragons and Yum Yums. And it is a Flaming Lips inspired beer, which if you do not know, Wayne Cohn and the Flaming Lips are from Oklahoma City. Yay, we get the crazy people. Uh, this is off-centered art series featuring Michael Hacker for the artwork. And it, it says in collaboration with the Flaming Lips. Did you know that Wayne Cohn, whenever he did his LP with Miley Cyrus, they pressed the LPs with a vial... Uh, viral of her urine. That's really weird. It's great. They're so strange. They are very strange. And we, we actually visited the womb this weekend whenever we went on our date for Valentine's Day. The womb is the Flaming Lips like art gallery. They have Factory Obscura in there, which is a like art gallery slash museum kind of thing that has revolving artifacts and revolving pieces. We actually just visited the ice cream slash gift shop part, but we do plan on spending the $17 to get in someday. So this beer is 6.5 alcohol by volume, and it says it is a pale ale brewed with dragon fruit and yumberry, passion fruit, pear, and black carrot juices. Have I've you, never seen a black carrot. Have you ever listened to the Flaming Lips? I have not. You've never heard She Don't Like Jelly? I don't think so. <gasps> it is very, so it is, it's very 90s music, so it kind of surprises me you haven't listened to it. They are very popular in like the mid to late 90s, and now they're just kind of Wonky tonk, but they're still good. So give the beer a smell. It's got a nice amber color to it, a little bit of cloudiness in there. The problem is that last beer, the French Toast Dreaming, really leaves a bit of residue in the glass. Like the thickness, it sticks. So I can still smell it in my glass. Yeah. It's invading my other beer. But we have had this before, so let's just go based off of our memories. It is very light. It has a nice crispness that most pale ales do, but there is a fruitiness to it. And it's not a fruity fruitiness like you're used to. Being that it's dragon fruit and yumberry, it's a peculiarness, but it's very, I don't know, it's very good. It's not a very sweet fruit. It is more of a tart fruit. If you've ever had a yes. dragon fruit before. It's not even a sweet, like a, it's not a tart beer. 
It's not a goza. It's not a sour. But it does have a hint of that tartiness, a hint of what you could see being transformed into a sour or something very easily. Yes. A little more dragon fruit. You're like, oh yeah, that's a goza. Yeah, you could. But it's a it's a very, very good beer. I always say dragon uh, dragonfish head, dogfish head, everything they do is good. I've never had a beer of theirs I don't like. And this is just another beer of theirs that I'm like, oh, yeah, really good. I'll drink it. We basically fell in love to their beer as well. That's pretty true. It was our engagement trip. I think we talked about that where you had one beer and we're just done because it Dead. was between 15 and 20% and they don't mark it because they don't know batch to batch without testing. Oh, God, I'll never forget that. I was sitting at the hotel room. We got a six pack of beer. I was like, I'm going to try this 180 minute IPA. And then I drank 120. One... Oh, sorry. 120. <laughs> no, it was 180. It's 120. Oh. Either way, I try it and I'm like, oh, this is delicious. And then I'm drinky drink after one beer and I'm like, what is wrong with me? There's no altitude in Rhode Island. <laughs> no. <laughs> Who knows? There might have been. We're just in the one high altitude spot. I guess there are hills, but it's like 47 feet rather than uh, yeah, 4,700 feet. Yeah, it's nothing like that. But there you go. So that's the Dragon and Yum Yums from Dogfish Head. A very good beer. I just... You know, check it out. Check out Drag Dogfish Head in general. They're just very good. So after that, rambling about the beer, let's move into the question to wrap this up. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special bite-sized question. So the question of the episode today is kind of a goofy, silly one. But since the game of the episode was Tiny Towns, and it's all about making a tiny little town. And we both, especially me, come from a small town in Oklahoma. Haley's was small, but just Haley's was more of a small city. Yeah, like it, it grew a lot. Like when I was a kid, it was like 7,000. And whenever I left Elk City, it was about 10,000. And now it's about 12,000. So we're actually getting to be a small city. And mine was basically the same forever, which is about 1,200. Woo! So you're 10 times. Wait. Yeah, now we are yeah, 10 times. You're 10 times the size of my hometown. So we you, now have an Arby's. And a Wendy's. You have a Walmart? That's the first step of going from a town <laughs> to a city? So you're a small oh, city. We a, have a single family dollar. It's a super Walmart now. Walmart supermarket or whatever? Hell yeah, it is. All right. So you've got a small city. I have a small town. So we thought with tiny towns, we would do something that corresponds to that. So I thought, what is a time? And I thought, I say that, Haley came up with this. What is a time that you felt famous in your small town? Because it's that Miranda Lambert song that everybody dies famous in a small town, which is true because everybody knows everybody's business. And everybody knows 14 generations of your family. Definitely. So, Deltipoo, what is a time you felt famous in your small town? There was one time in high school, and this was when I had just got into drumming for a while. I was probably drumming like a year. I started drumming at 15, so I, was, I think I was 16. I had my truck, so I was driving. I was either 16 uh, or going on 17, and it was when me, Cullen, Joey, and Morgan used to be playing like as a band, and we would play together all the time and do stuff. Well, they had news, I think it was News Channel 25 here in Oklahoma. Yeah, it was Fox 25, right? I the think so. They were going around schools and looking at people that were talented and all this different whatever. Well, we ended up playing a cover of uh, Megadeth's Atu Lamon. And we played that for them, and it actually, the very small clip was on Fox 25 on the news, and whenever they played it, they had, I, it was funny because I played uh, with no shoes. I used to play with no shoes. Really? I, I, I didn't know that. I could not stand playing with shoes huh. for the longest time until I learned, I don't know, 
I just got used to it. Before I could, I felt like I could feel it better without shoes. I had no idea. So I used to play in socks and uh, I had my drum kit set up in this weird way, but we were playing and I was doing like, they went around and let each of us do like a little almost solo-y thing and talked to us. And so there was video of me just playing and it was just, it was very short, like, you know, two, three seconds tops. And it was just, it was neat. And I felt like that was kind of a really cool thing, even though it never went anywhere. And they were going to have some, you know, vote on the best one recording performances and they just never did it. And so I don't know if that was something that just fell through. We should write a letter. Just find that video. Yes, you and Cullen and Joey and Morgan can get the band back together. Uh, no, no, not We can it. make a whole, like, <laughs> troop film. <laughs> oh, that would be such a disaster now, I feel like. But that was when I felt, like, you know, famous in, a, in my tiny town. What about you, Haley? So I know I've talked about being the cover of the Elk City phone book. And so I felt pretty famous then. But I, ha- I did not feel as famous then as whenever I had a summer where I worked at the one coffee shop in town. At the same time, I worked at the one movie theater in town. At the same time, I was in the one, uh, like, performance theater in town. We had one movie theater and one coffee shop and one theater. And I worked at all three in one summer. I had kids run up to me in Walmart saying, movie theater girl! And, like, when they come talk to me, I felt so famous. I was recognized everywhere because I worked at the literally, except for the Walmart parking lot. I did not work at the Walmart parking lot. But otherwise, I worked at every single place in Elk City that was considered to be an entertainment spot. My goodness. Because the bowling alley had closed at that point and was now like a meth den. I love that you have all these places in your town. And in my town, we didn't get a coffee shop that wasn't just coffee from the gas station. The one gas station. until The North Store. The North Store. Because it was on the north side of town. The South Store shut down years and years before I was born. But uh, we had one person, the people who worked at the telephone booth, like telephone company, moved their building to a building on Main Street and opened up a little coffee shop in the front of that when I was like 16 or 17. Is it still there? I think it is. Oh. But it's the only like coffee you could get that wasn't just going down to the gas station and getting coffee. Well, that's fancy. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I remember when our gas station went from an uh, old gas station with an old counter booth seating for people and the grocery side and they still used to sell worms and like fish bait and then they finally updated and had like nice bathrooms and it was all open and they had the roller foods and now they have chicken livers as fish bait move it on up you can get uh fried chicken gizzards which were delicious oh god it's one of those things a vegan can't have for sure that's a science fact <laughs> but uh yeah you're lucky. I wish I had a Walmart and a coffee shop and a movie theater. I was so famous having worked at all three of those because everyone recognized me. You also have that face, though, that everyone always recognizes anyway. I swear to God. So I was up in Bricktown in Oklahoma City for a bachelorette party a year and a half ago for my friend Sarah. And I'm in the dollhouse, which is this burlesque club. And I have this random person come up to me and say, hey, did you used to work at the movie theater in Elk City? And granted, I am over 100 miles away from Elk City at this very moment. And I said, yes. And then I had four people come up to me and say, oh, we remember you. And then later on in the night, I had two more people completely different from that crowd, not even associated with them, come up to me and say, oh, hey, Haley, I haven't seen you since you worked at the movie theater. It's like, what in the hell? I still cannot get away from it. And that was in 2018. We got to get out of this state, away from all these people <laughs> that know us. <laughs> oh, my God. No, we can't because we went to Tennessee. And on the 
uh, tour to, what was it, Sun Records, there are people from Western Oklahoma on that thing. Oh, yeah, 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 at the records, uh, record store that was the big Elvis label and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And one time I went to Vegas, and Kyle's parents were on the plane with us to Vegas. Awesome. I do not get away from Elk City people, which sometimes <laughs> is good, sometimes is bad, and I parked next to an Elk City car today we're in moving, Edmond. Moving to Europe. That's what we're doing. <laughs> oh, God. We're going to find cousins there or something. We probably will. Well, I think that that's going to wrap this episode up. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out first to our Patreon backers. So thank you to our awesome Patreon backers who get a shout out at the level they are currently at, which is Allison, Jesse, and Catherine. Thank you guys for backing us on Patreon. Uh, You guys had helped me replace my hard drive, which, by the way, is working fantastically. And everything is so much better having a working hard drive. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) So thank you so much. If you want to be like them and contribute on Patreon at all, uh, or at least even just check it out just for, you know, shits and giggles. It is patreon.com slash Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. If you have a game you want us to talk about or a topic you want us to discuss or even a question for us to answer on the episode, you can send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. You can also hit us up and follow us on all social media at Malthouse Games. I feel like our taglines are always super easy for the actual podcast channel. If you want to follow me, uh, personally, which I don't really post. I pretty much do all my posting through the podcast page now. Uh, but mine is at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. And Haley's is at... S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. You can follow Haley and she will post her Lost Ogle articles, including the one in which she compared gun rights to vagina rights in Oklahoma, which has got a bunch of people's jimmies rustled. It had about 2,000 Jimmy's rustled, it seems like. It's pretty funny. It was a great satirical article, and people don't seem to realize what satire is. Oh, it's so great. And it was very fun. And uh, she's a great writer in The Lost Ogle and gets a lot of shares, so you should check out her stuff. Oh, thanks, hun bun. Yeah, you're welcome. I think that's going to wrap up the episode. I can't think of anything else. Uh, We will have one more episode before we go to Montreal, and then we will have one... After that, that we discuss Montreal and the different shenanigans we got into, and hopefully the game stores that we got to check out. French board game stores. Yeah, I'm hoping to find like a French-Canadian company that's local that sells something cool game-related. That way we can like pick something up, and I think that'd just be neat. And come back with stories to tell. Stories to tell, because podcasts are all about stories. And Canadian beer. Ooh, we're going to have to check a bag back. Hell yeah, brother. (laughs) See if we can get into the country. That's the hard part. Oh, we can. Yeah, it'll be fine. All right, I think that wraps everything up. So until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. Thanks for coming and listening. We'll see you folks later. Bye-bye. Bye.